Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. And welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Podcast Network. Episode number two following last week's discussion with Tracy Austin. I'm Mitch Michaels and our guest this week has big shoes to fill following that last episode, but he can do it. The world number five has five titles all on clay. Forehand extraordinaire. Now another member of the Tennis Channel team in terms of this new show, Second Serve. It's Jimmy Arias. Jimmy, thanks for joining the show. Sure, my pleasure. Great to be here. Sorry, I'm not a Hall of Famer like Tracy, but you know, you're going to have to do with whatever I bring. We'll make do. And, and one of the things you bring is uh, a lot of versatility and variety, both in your game and, and in your broadcasting. I think I want to start right there because uh, I watched some of this second serve show that they're you know starting out on TC Plus and the perspective's cool. It's a different way to look at tennis and to take in the sport. I think uh, that's the way sports are going in some ways is it's it's going to this sports investing as we started calling it instead <laughs> of sports gambling, but obviously there's a gambling side to it. And I haven't ventured into that side of, I can't say sports, but tennis certainly. I haven't ventured into tennis gambling. And it was interesting to me, number one, how good the odds makers are. So you better be careful if you decide to take up tennis gambling because the odds makers know what's going on. They yeah. understand the surfaces. They understand it's hard to get an edge. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, I didn't realize there's live gambling. That's a place <laughs> where I feel like in a sense I could get an edge. We can use a match that was chess playing right now. It is still playing Rublev against Nadal. Right, great example. And Nadal lost the first set badly. He was down an early break. He was hitting the ball very short, which is when he's playing badly, he over top spins and the ball lands short and players are able to step up and take advantage. And all of a sudden he got a couple of games where he got a little more length on the ball and he's now an underdog from a gambling side. And I actually said, this is maybe a time you want to put a little bit of money yeah. on Nadal. I mean, he doesn't lose on clay much, obviously. <laughs> He's finally at least looking more Nadal-like. He has won the second set. The third set, he's down a break. He still doesn't quite look like Nadal, but yeah. it's going to come down to a couple points at the end. Well, they got back on serve, too, but you took the words right out of my mouth that Nadal, perfect example, him on clay. Down a set, down a break. Anybody else. They're going to be sizable underdogs in that setting, but Rafa is just a slight underdog. Just a slight underdog. It's the it's perfect true. time for live betting. And uh, no, I think the show's great. A Mike Haston production. So everybody check that out on TC Plus. Also good that you're able to kind of tell some of the stories because one of the better storytellers in the tennis world, I think. You've got a, a lot of life experiences there. Yeah, it's a strange thing for me because it's sort of, it has to just happen because someone mentioned something and it brings it to mind. If you ask me, give me a story, I can't quite do it at the same level as when it seems to be pertaining to something we're watching or something we're seeing. 
that Las Vegas story you told about the final and playing blackjack and, yes. or almost playing blackjack, yeah. I should say, having a maybe better judgment, you know, a, a one of the few times, out, whatever you want to say. Yeah. One of the few <laughs> times I came up with the right answer there, I think. And it was just because of the confidence of uh, the pit boss guy when I, you know, I don't know if you want me to tell the story. Again the, now, the, I could, I can run through the cliff notes. You, you finished runner up in the Las Vegas. I think it was the last time they had that tournament. Yes. Because again, it yeah. was because I was playing Johan Creek in the finals and it was supposed to be Connors Mack and run those guys. <laughs> and, and Alan King yeah. said, you know what, we're not having this tournament anymore. So I had the runner up check and I was on unhappy with the way it, I lost the match. I was walking through to get to my room at Caesars Palace. I had a $40,000 check in my hand. I thought, hey, I could win the tournament if I just put this on one on one hand. So I asked if I could. They called the pit boss over. The pit boss took one look at the check, one look at me, and he goes, absolutely. It's Vegas, you can do anything. Here. And then I took the check away and kept my forty grand. <laughs> that's a smart move for sure uh definitely like story time with jimmy arias on any platform but make sure you check out uh the second serve on tc plus going forward as far as the topical stuff in tennis jimmy we're at uh, monte carlo it's the changing of surfaces and we're into the clay court season a traditional one after last year where we can start in april with the monte carlo open and just off the rip off the top i can't think of maybe you can shed light on this just a more pretty more beautiful venue than where they play at in monaco or france adjacent i should say no no you can't that's that's a beautiful site and you know it's a tournament that is a lot of fun and i enjoyed it actually i was a, i made a final there so i felt pretty good about it i didn't lose money in the casino over the years <laughs> When I when yeah, I that's went an easy to one to lose money in over well, there. Well, I didn't go to it very often, <laughs> um, so it was one. It was one of those things. I did go a couple of times, and I didn't lose money, so that was nice. But it's you know, you've seen some yachts there that are helicopters on. It's a crazy. Mm -hmm. It's a crazy place, Monaco, and that's that's always a fun tournament too. It sets the table for the uh, impending clay court season. A lot to talk about there. We mentioned Nadal in action, but aside from the drama going on in that match, Jimmy, the biggest story is Novak Djokovic loses his first match, beats Sinner in his, loses his first match of the year, I should say, beats Sinner in his first match in the tournament, but loses to Dan Evans, which not what anybody would have expected. Evans, to his credit, has made the semi so far going, but Djokovic now 10-1 and one on the season, and by all accounts, even Novak's, one of the worst matches he's played. So I got to ask you point blank, Jimmy, what went wrong with Joker, and should we be worried going forward on the clay? Well, I mean, look, against Sinner, he played pretty well from what mm -hmm. I saw, the parts I saw. And there was a part of me that thought while I'm watching the Evans match that maybe he came into this tournament not as motivated for whatever mm -hmm. for whatever reason. He hadn't played since Australia, and, and, but he was motivated against Sinner because it's a 19-year-old that's suddenly coming up, and, you know, when you're one of the number next one, guys, you don't yeah. want one of the next guys to get a win against you. So he, he played very well in that match. Dan Evans, I'm sure, coming in, a guy that he knows hasn't had any success on clay, really, in his in his career. He's probably thinking, oh, it's just be, mm -hmm. I don't have to, I can just come out and I'm going to win this match today. And at right. some point, it wasn't happening for him. And you know, I don't think he's going to make that mistake again. The other thing that was sort of interesting to me, because, again, we just did a betting show, and it started making me think back to a time when um, Novak played in very windy conditions. The conditions were windy that day. Right. And Dan Evans was chipping and giving no pace on the backhand. And that when you chip in a windy, swirly condition, it actually, the ball moves around a little bit. And I don't think Djokovic was ever feeling comfortable. 
And I thought back to the semis of a U.S. Open in 2012. He was playing David Ferrer. It was so windy that Ferrer was up 5-2, and you could see Djokovic was <laughs> really struggling. And they called that match before it rained. If I had been Ferrer, I would have... Lost no, it. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. Gonna, what are you talking about? We're, it's not yeah. raining yet, but yeah. they said a storm is coming. We got to stop. Um, and, it, you know, he de he ended up killing him the next day or whenever they came back and there wasn't that wind again. So maybe Djokovic isn't that comfortable at a certain level of wind. That's a good point. He's had issues like that on the clay in French Opens over there this time of year. The fact that Evans fought, I mean, his game is it's got a lot of talent, but he's a scrappy type of player. Djokovic was up a break, I believe, in that second set, and a lot of players probably just roll over, even with more talent. Evans didn't. I also think we have to be careful with not so much the rust of Djokovic not playing since the Australian Open, but I like to call it the recalibration period when you switch the surfaces where it's a best of three. It's not Djokovic's best shot. We always talk about guys of the big three and girls as well at the top of their game playing themselves into form for a major. And I, I think we don't want to overreact by one loss. It is a bad loss, but Djokovic is still going to be okay. He's going to find his footing and he'll be fine. Because he played the way he did against Sinner, I agree. Mm -hmm. I don't think, I think he's going to, you know, he's the second favorite at Roland Garros, basically. And from what I'm seeing from Nadal, you know, you'd, mm. you could almost say the same thing. Don't yeah. overreact. It's early. And Nadal, the last couple of years, has sort of lost for the first time on clay a few times leading up to Roland Garros. But then once he gets into Roland Garros, he, he's still Nadal at that tournament. I think, I think Novak as well is at a point, too, where he, he's going to bring his A game. He's the only guy to win all nine Masters events. But you know what he has his sights set on. So not to say that he, like he did, he overlooked Dan Evans, but his game will be rounding into form for the majors. Uh, there, there's a lot of other stuff in this tournament that's been exciting. Dan Evans making the semifinals is one, but one player I wanted to talk to you about, Jimmy, is Casper Rude. He's made great strides the last couple of years. He's been to three clay court finals, has his only title on the surface. And maybe this is the week it all comes together, rallying back from 5-2 down in the third to beat Pablo Carina Busta. And then today, just handling Fognini for most of that match, winning in straight sets. Is this his moment where he's stepping up? I mean, yeah, he's at that age, isn't he, where he's sort of, he, he's, he's got the experience now. He's played a lot. It's a game that sort of, he has, his forehand is nasty. His forehand is very heavy. He's controlling a lot of points from that wing. His ground strokes are excellent. It just seems like maybe he's a guy that needs just that little bit of time to produce those strokes. So it doesn't translate quite as well on faster courts, on quicker courts. But on the clay, he's kind of able to dictate a lot with his forehand and dictate the points. And you can't take enough time away from him to make him uncomfortable. So, yes, maybe this is his time, having you know said that. He's still in that you know, next level, couple yeah. levels down from, from the big of guys. Of course, yeah. I, I think realistically getting into the top 20 is the next step he's at 27 right now I think he's hit 24 as his career high so getting into the top 20 top 15 and then we'll see I uh, I do have some some charts here I don't like to bring out the graphs or analytics much but I saw something that was fascinating I had to print it out when he was in the next gen tournament they had all the analytics out back in Milan a couple years ago measuring all that stuff his forehand topspin was rating basically bigger than Nadal's forehand topspin it's like an unprecedented shot. And I'm just wondering on the clay if that could be, you know, his advantage because he was really cracking well, today. Yeah, what's interesting is that you said that. We looked at the analytics. Yeah. And I, from just watching him play, I noticed mm -hmm. 
that his forehand's controlling when he's mm-hmm. getting a forehand he's controlling the point he is it's hard it's similar to nadal when nadal hits his forehand where he really hits it and he's got control you can never find his backhand again he's controlling mm-hmm. the point the rest of the way and Rude's doing that a little bit as well yeah. this week. We, we don't want to compare. Like obviously, no. it's Rafa, but right. he's got a style, and it's working. And in today's match against Fognini, who's a battler, who's going to make life difficult, he's going to you know get himself going. There was that moment where, where Rude was up a break. Fognini got back on serve. He dug in, and he's hitting winners and coming up big on the biggest points. So mentally, I mean, we look at the game, and all these guys are uber-talented at that level. But it's those little differences, those key points. And this was the first time you could say, wow, Rude's really stepping up it's when it's conf- all on the line. It's confidence. It's the end of the day, it's confidence. When you believe that you're going to win matches, yeah. that's that's when you make those type of shots. And so obviously yeah. he's starting to believe. Other thing I want to point out, uh, the Pablo Carina Busta match when Rude won that one. For all the people out there that think, you know, it's only about the majors and it's all about the big, just watch his box's reaction when he won because they were going nuts. This is a big moment for them. And I think his dad, I think Christian might have been in there. I'm not sure, but everyone was masked up. But it's a big moment and it's it's good to see that we're kind of at that point where everyone can kind of be there and, you know, supporting these breakthroughs. Well, look, yeah, a breakthrough. (laughs) Anytime you have a breakthrough, it doesn't matter if it's in the, you know, Buffalo, New York futures it's uh it's a big moment for him and obviously in a masters 1000 now he's starting to make a move in a masters 1000 if he ever wins grand slams his box wouldn't react yeah. quite like that in <laughs> the, a, the in buffalo Carlo. the buffalo futures you have uh that's like the start of like where the arius legend grew back home no i didn't i didn't even, i just <laughs> buffalo because yeah. that's where i'm from and you know this just came to mind but it's oh. actually mine was the uh the Schenectady Money Tournament was where I had. Oh, I, beat, okay. I beat two guys with an ATP ranking when I was twelve in a wow. Schenectady Money Tournament. Was that when you played Rod Laver? Right, that same year. I played him. I played Rod a little okay. bit later. Yeah, like <laughs> six months later. Six months later. Yeah, uh, twelve years old. Wow, good. I work. couldn't take the money. Actually, it was annoying. I got a uh, Adidas sweatsuit from the tournament director instead, and they were seventy dollars <laughs> sweatsuit that was my dad wouldn't get me. I they were shiny, and I wanted one and. I said, instead of a grand, I just won. Give me a sweatsuit. And so, I, I mean, this is the story time, and we're, we're already kind of branching into that. But, but so you do this, you win this at 12. From what I've read about you, was that like a, hey, good job, son? Did you get the compliments then? Was it like you No, really- I never got a compliment from my dad, ever. No. He never told me I did well. Um, he always was. He was of the mindset that, and he told me that. He mm-hmm. goes, because sometimes I would complain, yeah. did I do okay? And he would say, I'm not here to tell you what you're doing right. I'm here to tell you what you're doing wrong. He was from Spain. He had an accent. So, um, and he lived to that for the end of his time. That yeah. was I was never going to get what I what I did well. And the one that, the one story that sort of crystallizes that for me was my first big win, my Christian Rude moment. Sort yeah. of was um, first time I made a final of a tour event was in Washington D.C. Okay. And um, I beat Jose Luis Clerc, who at the time was four in the world. Um, I was 70 in the world or so, and I was 17 years old. And I called my dad because was, it was a great match, 6-4 in the third. He was on a 19-match win streak before the match. So it was, you know, it was an informed number four in the world. Um, nervous, nervous, trying to serve it out at 5-4 in the third, obviously. Got through it, immediately called my dad, said, Dad, Dad, I just beat Clerc. Can you believe it? He goes, you should be clerk. Who do you play now? 
And I go, <laughs> you should be I the just, top five player yes. in the world. Yeah. I go, I play Lendl. Yeah. He goes, don't even call me if you don't beat Lendl. That was, <laughs> so that was, all right, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> yes. It was actually kind of yeah. weirdly, I mean, it's horrible in some ways, but in some ways it was good because I was so over the moon that I wasn't even yeah, thinking grounded. about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh, that's right. I got to play the final tomorrow. Right. So. Well, that, there's the lesson in that. You see a lot of the players in nowadays game, they get that big win. They beat a, a Rafa or a Djokovic in a big tournament, and they immediately lose. Yes. They're probably exactly. Cause you're, cloud nine. You, you hadn't thought beyond that or whatever it is. Yeah, so it's, I don't know. There was some intelligence to what my dad's <laughs> would have been nice to just occasionally <laughs> did okay. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. More with Jimmy Arias on Tennis Channel Inside and a uh, guy that should obviously be writing a book or something with all this, this story time. Um, other other players in the Monte Carlo Open that are looking strong uh, in that same vein, someone that has broken through and is really on the cusp, Stefano Tsitsipas. He's into the semifinal. He had a walkover today uh, in his match, but he gets Evans in the semi and a path to the final that's looking good. He's still looking for his first Masters 1000s title, but he's turning himself into an all-encompassing clay court player. He has wins over Rafa on this surface, and you know we're starting to see that consistently clay is really suited to what he can do out there. I mean, he looks to be the guy that, to me, that may be breaking through and that's and, that's and, your picker what it's looking like of that era. it seems like it yeah. because from a mental side forget physical for a second from a mental side he's a guy that seems to be pretty clutch he seems to win the big points there's, in a lot of matches there's he's, some like a reverence or someone say like cockiness there but there's like a, i'm gonna do this like exactly. it doesn't matter and it's exactly good. and it doesn't matter who he's playing yeah and um and I obviously you need that. He's got that intangible that's sort of impossible to to teach. He mm -hmm. he believes, mm -hmm. and that's why he comes through in those big moments. And then on top of that, you know, he covers the court incredibly well. He's got a forehand that he steps up into the court quickly and takes time away from his opponents, and they don't seem to be able to read his forehand. So even when he hits his forehand, I don't know what the analytics say. Maybe you got analytics <laughs> no, on his on his forehand. Yeah, it's big, but. It's it's like it freezes people a little bit like Federer in in that respect. When Federer was sort of first coming out, he would hit the ball big, but also take it early, and that combination sort of caught players off guard. He does that a little bit with his forehand, where guys don't seem to be able to react. They don't read it. It, it goes for winners quite a bit. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, you know, un, I guess untrained eye or trained eye. It, it's it's above average, but not outrageous. By, yeah. by the, the chart that I'm looking at. Exactly. It's yeah. not outrageous, but it's something about it that the players can't pick up. They don't react to it. It's got to be, there's something different when you're playing against them. I probably would see it, although, you know, anybody who hits yeah. against me now, I'm <laughs> moving a little less well than I once did. I'm always fascinated and impressed with his net game. It, it's very throwback in that style. You don't necessarily, especially in the, in the 21st century, equate clay court success to a net game, but he mixes up and, 
he has that variety as well. I, I, I'm with you, the confidence. That's what stands out at this point because you see players that can hit people off the court, look great, but when you're in the semifinal of a big tournament or in a grand slam, you need to have that extra intangible, and he clearly has it, at least more than others at this stage of their development. What's sad is, you know, I know I'm supposed to be the expert, in, but I'm <laughs> thinking yeah. about him yeah. playing Nadal, and I don't know how with his one-handed backhand we're talking on clay, right? On yeah. clay, but yeah. even even on a slower hard court. Like, it seems to me heavy to his backhand, he would be backed up. Mm-hmm. He would get in trouble, and it would allow Nadal to sort of take control of the point, but that obviously hasn't happened when they play, and I yeah. haven't watched his matches with Nadal mm-hmm. to see how he's counteracting that. I just have this weird memory of I watched him practice Sissy Poss at Indian Wells a few years ago. Someone was hitting kick serves to him over okay. and over again, and he was shanking every... He was trying to take the return early, and he was hitting yeah. it off the frame, off the grip, one and one or two good ones. But in general, it looked like he didn't like that backhand up around shoulder high. So it shocks me. Either he's gotten way better at it, or two, he's taking it early, not letting it get up that high. You know, or Nadal just hasn't used that, which would be even more shocking. I've, the Australian Open match, I think, Nadal was clearly just compromised, and, and Tsitsipas fought on that hard court. It was, you know... A little faster from what we we gather but yeah that, that's something now the bright side is as we do this ruba 5-2 now serving for the matchup a double break so wow so that kind of escalated quickly there but that's i mean that's kind of the segue i want to talk about rublev sitsipas medvedev zverev who's been struggling but rublev has been the one that's ro- that's risen the most in terms of the last year was i think just outside the top 20 about a year and a half ago and now he's approaching the top five accurately and is doing it at the 500 level. He barely loses a match, but he's also doing a Jimmy on all surfaces. Well, because he stands close to the baseline, takes an absolute full cut, <laughs> just a rip. and they all go in. Like <laughs> it doesn't, I don't understand both of them. I don't understand Medvedev either because his game, his stroke shouldn't go in. He hits a no, side spin. It's a whippy, yeah. It's the weirdest thing. Like the it's, shots when it's like, like he spins and he's not even looking at yes, the court. Yeah. Physics doesn't work really with Medvedev's forehand. Yeah. I don't know. Russia's re engineered it. Yeah, I there's guess. something yeah. strange going on. <laughs> yeah. And and I've like for Rublev, you when you take the ball early, you have a shorter swing. Norman. That's just uh-huh. that's the, the thing that you're going back and forth with. Somehow he takes a full swing, full cut from the baseline and doesn't miss. If you can do that, man, more power to you. You're going to be in the top five, and he's going to have a bunch of wins. And then the flip side is why does he keep losing to Rublev? I mean, to Medvedev, Medvedev every time they play. Is that it's a just, mental thing? Obviously, like a, yeah, it's got to be something. grew up. It's got to be mm-hmm. something mental. He's lost to him since they were kids, and it just continues on that side. The match he had yesterday, we're still waiting to see what happens with Nadal, but the match Rublev had as we record this yesterday against RBA – a clay court specimen for lack of a better word every time they play it's heavy and physical but rublev's gotten him the last couple times so those are the matches where i'm like okay he's serious about this clay court thing like rba is like the gatekeeper to how serious are you on the clay court surface because you might have to go three hours with that guy but it's been no trouble for him i mean rba is also a guy that mentally is rock solid he's gonna make you you're Wears gonna have down, to beat yeah. you're gonna have to beat him you're gonna have to play big shots at big moments he is if you're beating him, you're playing well, no question about it. I, you know, obviously, Rublev's full of confidence. He's won a, more matches, I suppose, than almost anybody in the last 
year. Oh yeah, that's yeah, it is because of just the lack of tournaments that yeah. some players have played, and he's cleaned up at the 500 level. Uh, on the flip side of having a lot of confidence to maybe not having as much, what do we make of the 2021 status of Alexander Zverev? Wins Acapulco, we think maybe he's turned the corner, but since then it's losses to Rusevari and Gofan, which is not a bad loss, but still struggling with that serve and still in big moments, it's letting him down. Um, it's so hard for me to answer that question from the standpoint of, I feel like once you kind of get the yips, which he sort of has on his second serve, it's usually end of career. So Guillermo Coria, end of career. It's true. He couldn't yeah. get a second serve going. Um, there's a few more players I'm sort of blanking on right now that have had that happen. Even, I mean, Maria Sharapova, Anna Kornikova, and both of those players struggled. Maria, Maria continued her career and just started doing what Zverev does right now, which is I'll hit two first serves kind of thing. And yeah. you know, But the problem is that two first serve strategy, it, It'll catch it, up to you. It'll catch up to you at some point in the match, but it's probably a better way to go than the thirty-six mile an hour second serve into the middle of the uh. into the middle of the net. You don't want to do that. So for Zverev, he's got the type of game that he'd be number one in the world at one, two, three in the world. He's he's six six, moves unbelievably well, incredibly long, can hit big from pretty far behind the baseline. It's just Kenny mentally get past the demons on second serve and, and forehand. I agree with, with all you just said. I also think, too, that we talk about consistency. Running the gauntlet of a Grand Slam, we take for granted because the big three have just done it so many times. It will catch up to you. Your first serve is not always going to be at the clip that's A-level, and you're going to have to have a plan B, and you're going to have to mentally be there. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's still a lot of time, obviously, but you bring up a good point. There's never really been that Actually, post- I got another thought. I just realized, if you remember, Djokovic went for a year or two where he had the yips. Okay. He was double faulting 10, 15 times a, a match. Yeah. And yeah. he got over it. So. So Novak Djokovic. <laughs> he got over yeah, it. Yeah. So, know. you know, maybe, maybe maybe there's a chance. So maybe. you're saying there's a chance. There may be a chance. It is Djokovic. It's like the Nadal comparisons to a point where we're like, these guys are just so far uh, above in, in the world of sports what we expect uh speaking of nadal that match is over 6-2 rublev third set <laughs> shocking in some ways although we didn't see it so we don't know exactly what happened all i know well, is he got is, broke but twice in the third set too well, so we know the serve is like well, you first of all he held serve once through the first set and two love he was 6-2 but one of the games nadal won was a break his serve was pitiful really it wasn't even hitting his spots it was a strange has there been a top player and I just I bring this up because Nadal is no I mean two Australia I think it was two Australian opens ago it was all about changing the serve and technique and oh this is great and then Djokovic just dusted him in the final but can you think of a top player in your time past maybe uh, beyond that where players have been like Nadal a player that's been tinkering with their serve as much because he changes it a lot he does change it a lot and no, I don't think by the time you're at this level, <laughs> you should have the game you have and you can yeah. make some improvements and you can try to figure out, you know, it's a little bit like Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods was the best golfer in the world and then he messed with his swing um, while he was the best player in the yeah, world. Yeah, it was and after 97. That yeah, was and you're thinking, what what are you doing? I mean, he still won a ton and Nadal still <laughs> wins a ton, but yeah. Nadal's serve is also sometimes shaky and yeah. he 
today it was. Um, and I'm worried about his back as well. Like maybe there's something on the serve where he's got to make changes because his back is bothering him. I don't know. Well, big win for Rublev, maybe the biggest that he's had, definitely on clay. Um, Nadal was frustrated today. Still unbelievable, obviously, and still like Djokovic, what we had that discussion, just kind of getting recalibrated. He's lost in this tournament. He's won it 11 times, but he hasn't won it in a couple of years now. I mean, the Fognini match in 2019, he played pretty weak in that one. Point being, he's going to just start revving up. He's still going to be the favorite to win every clay court tournament he plays all through the French Open. Yeah, no question he's going to be the favorite. A little strange his emotions today as well, as you don't normally see Rafa get angry, and he was getting angry a number of different times in yeah. that match today where, you know, obviously he wasn't playing well, and, and at some point even Rafa is human. He showed that he's human because normally his emotions are just from the positive side of things. He doesn't give you the negative Jimmy Arias on Tennis Channel Inside. And uh, before we put a bow on Monte Carlo, I, I want to also mention one player that has been in the news cycles because of some developments in his career. Uh, it's Felix Ojeda-Aliassime working with Tony Nadal. Now, we covered last week on the show with Tracy that this is a, a, an interesting choice, a good one. It could be a benefit to Felix to have someone in his corner that's ridden the ride to Grand Slam success and can make that difference. But I'm interested in your perspective, having walked in the shoes of being a top player in the game. Are you playing and constantly looking at who can help me? Are you seeking out important voices? I mean, because this seemed like Felix made a beeline for that guy can help me. I need some added juice and went to Uncle Tony. And my answer to that is no, not I didn't really. I was sort of more relying on myself. And, okay. and, um, and I think sometimes you can, when you're searching for someone to give mm -hmm. you something, and that person feels as though where I'm trying to go is I don't think you should be getting technical advice exactly at this yeah. point in your career. And that from that standpoint, I think Tony's probably a decent guy to go to because I don't actually think he's a technical guy. I think mm -hmm. he's going to be more of a guy from helping from the mental, emotional side of things. And Felix is a player that unlimited talent, unlimited ability, could be an amazing player technically does things well for whatever reason will play one or two games a set where it's just here you go i'm throwing away my serve i'm going to hit two double faults i'm going to miss two first balls and miss a sitting forehand just right sitting, into the net yes. yeah i'm gonna i'm yeah. gonna make and it's true that you, cost him the karatsev match in australia you cannot win a major with that mm -hmm. you know he can still because he's so good he'll break back and he'll give mm -hmm. himself a chance and he's still but you can't beat the great players donating a game. No. And he donates those, you know, he does it often. He does it all the time. Now, I don't know if that's a mental thing. I think it is. But, and maybe Tony can help him from that standpoint. But if Tony's going in thinking, I'm going to, you know, give him some technical advice, then I don't think it's going to do, do more harm than good. I, uh, I agree with that. It's also his poor record in finals. What's going to happen on the Sunday? He makes another final. You know, can he get over the hump and win that tournament? Something that Tony can maybe help with there. But it's a work in pro. I mean, Grant, Grant's not a bad loss on clay, but that was another one of those matches you talk about with the rain delay. He's up early, serving for the first set, gives it away, and then the wheels just come completely apart. Wait, did he have time to talk to Tony after, with the rain delay? Because that's sort of if... It was, no, it was a delay to the next day. That's what I mean by that. The rain washed okay. out at like 4-2 Felix up, a, up okay. in the first set. So. so that's where theoretically Tony would be helpful although it's mm -hmm. difficult when you're winning 
Yeah. And it's a rain delay because it's, you know, <laughs> keep doing what you're doing. It's where, <laughs> you're it's where the answer. It's not, Good job. It's not well, so easy to come up with yeah. something, you know, it definitely. Early, yeah. Definitely early in the development. So we'll see what happens there. Um, that was great on Monte Carlo. A uh, cup, just one other couple of things I wanted to get to before we wrap this up. I know we've been kind of on the day, you know, wavelength with Monte Carlo, but the women's tournament in Charleston, I think is, it's a 250 event. It's hard, true clay back to back uh, events there. So props to them for putting it together, but an opportunity for a first time champion, which could be Shelby Rogers getting her first title at home would be that storybook <laughs> ending storybook. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, like she's played very well now mm-hmm. for, for quite a while um, after missing virtually a whole year. I, I think yeah. of, you know, from injury, um, big game has some confidence. It, it would be nice to see her. And again, she's, she likes the clay. I think when I first heard or saw her was doing well at Rolling Garros. So I think, uh, she'll be someone to watch for, for the rest of the clay court season. If it's not Shelby Rogers and tying into the gambling second serve show earlier, I'm investing in Towson, the Danish girl. I mean, there's a lot there, like 18 serves well. And that was what jumped out to me is she's got a good second serve and already mentally composed and in her last match. She had like a, a line mark call that just went against her on a match point. And I'm thinking to myself so many times I've seen man or woman, it just unravels break. Here we go. But served it out. You know, it's funny because it goes back to that confidence thing mm-hmm. if you are confident mm-hmm. something that happens within a match doesn't bother you because the end result what you're worried about is the mm-hmm. end result the end result is you if you're confident you think you're going to win so a bad call anything like that doesn't bother you obviously she's somebody that's very confident and look the reason serena williams is serena williams is because her second serve her first serve but also mm-hmm. her second serve is better than anybody and she crushes her opponent's yeah. second serves and anyone that sticks with that formula on the women's side is, is going to have some pretty good success. Towson was the big one. I'm investing on the women's side on the men's side. I mean, I've already hedged what I can into Sebi Corda I and mean, that's the guy I've, I just marvel at his game. And I don't know. You've probably seen him down at IMG. Course, yeah. You since know, he was a kid. Could have uh, seen him since he was a kid. Did it surprise you at all? Um, this quick that he's shocked. playing so well, not surprised. Yeah. I'm okay. absolutely shocked and amazed <laughs> at what's happened to him because a year and a half ago, even, I watched him practicing and pretty lazy. Mm. Feet were not that quick. Good hands, clean ball striker. I mean, those things were obvious. But second serve was not bouncy, not like not that great. Mm-hmm. Um, forehand looked like it could break down at, at, at the slightest provocation really and it was the the movement and the and the laziness in practice that sort of bothered me i thought he's not working he's not training at the level that he needs to train at to to really make it um but he has matured unbelievably in the last you know just few months to where the speed is now there he was his his backhand and his backhand return were always just i mean things of beauty clean hits it huge with little effort all the cordas. There's something about the court. I'm not. I'm. I think I'm joking, but yeah. you see, Peter Cordy weighs like 87 pounds, six foot two, and he hits yeah. a golf ball 300 yards. Oh, really? Yes. Um, That's where the girls and, get it from. Yes. <laughs> the ball comes off their sport. Yeah. Without true. seeing it, 
with a lot of pace. And I, I you don't even see exactly why, but he hits the ball big. His ball is coming off big. And the ball they used in Miami is a Dunlop ball. That Dunlop ball was pretty heavy, very heavy. Mm-hmm. Very few guys could hit through their opponents. That ball for Sebi, and I know they're going to be using Dunlop a lot. Any, if you're a gambling guy, we want to do a gambling <laughs> show. If you know they're using that Dunlop ball, okay. that, that <laughs> that's on the excited Florida. Yes, because he's going to be able to hit the through players oh. and other people aren't. I'm excited for him at his age, and and we played the Schwartzman match. That first set was some of the best tennis we saw in the whole tournament. So I am excited there. It's good that we've got that young boy. And someone that turned the corner and has gotten stronger and is putting the time in and is serious no about question. their no, profession. No, his movement has, yeah. you know, it's gotten to the point where now he can, he's, he's, He's there. He made it. He made it. Now he just see, and, and mentally he's very stable. Yeah. So he's got a lot of things that are going to mean he's going to be a great player. It just, it does shock me from <laughs> where he was a year and a half ago to where he is today. It's all about progress and he's made it. Um, Jimmy Arias, this was a blast. I, I can't let you go without this. I was trying to research Monte Carlo and knowing that you're about story times. I was like, oh, Jimmy Arias, Monte Carlo, let's cross search some stuff. And uh, I found the uh, the umpire story. <laughs> with Pablo Ryan, with, uh, that one? No, with uh, Bruno. With oh. <laughs> I don't know if we can we can I don't know if we want to go over this story again. I will. I don't mind because it still annoys me, and it was you know, yeah. Not, I don't even know a year, but it was many I think many it, years. I think ago. it looks it looks like it's 1989 by my my crack okay. research. Staff. Okay, so um, I'm playing Martin Haiti, and that's right. It is five all in the third set. My serve deuce, and. Haiti hits a ball that is very close. Forehand down the line is very close. I did think it just missed. Um, the linesman calls it out. The umpire, who was Bruno Rabot, um, asks. Haiti doesn't ask, by the way, for anyone to check the mark. The umpire asks the linesman to go check the mark. The linesman comes out and checks the mark and says out. Now, that should be the end of it. Haiti's waiting in the ad court. It should be my ad. No one's asked Bruno Rabot. Like... What's going on? And suddenly Bruno Rabot comes out of the chair, comes down, looks at the bark and says, no good. Um, Ridiculous. Which, which yeah. sends me into a complete frenzy for a minute. And I wasn't confident at that point because my ranking had already dropped a little bit. And it was actually probably going to be a good win for me. I think Haiti was close to top 10 at the time. Um, so I lose 7-5 in the third. I'm angry, obviously, at the call. But I get more angry that night when I'm going to dinner and I see... Bruno Rabot walking into the restaurant with his arm around Martine Haiti. Oh, oh, that's not um, what you want. So I then made a complaint the next day to the uh, tournament director, not that it did me any good. And then I don't know if you remember, that led to the Jeff Tarango <laughs> wife yeah, that way, slapping yeah, him. Yeah, way, way worse. And, and I think, you know, it, you kind of got lumped into it. But it was just funny when I saw that story that, of course, it's another another little footnote in it the journey just, of Jimmy Arias. Yeah, strange, just, strange things that happened to me at yeah. times. Yeah, no Jimmy, question. this was a blast. Thanks for coming on this show. It's my pleasure. I uh, hope to chat with you some more in the future. And, yeah, any advice on who to invest in, you know, especially with your insight I'll knowledge. have to, <laughs> you know, I want to do live. That's mm-hmm. the, to me, that's where you get the best chance. Having said that, I would have just lost on the Nadal thing. <laughs> we, um, a lot of people would have. Yes. Yeah. Um, you would have felt good after the second set. Maybe you could have rehedged on Rublev again or something. But anyway, it's an interesting, interesting times with this uh, gambling and sports.
Thanks again, though, for coming on Tennis Channel Inside In. Thanks, Mitch. That's Jimmy Arias. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. If you like the podcast, you can find it on tennis.com slash podcast. We'll be back each week with more access from the game's best players, analysts, legends, everybody that makes the sport go. We're on all your podcast platforms. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. We'll see you next week. Thank you.